This morning I was thinking about how, um, how we're continuing our stories, the parables from Jesus and the stories from Jesus, and I was thinking about how maybe you are like me, you started a job years ago and you think about work and all these kinds of things, and I was thinking about have you ever started a job and felt like you were taken advantage of? Um, or maybe uh, you thought you were taken advantage of and the more you begin to learn you realize you weren't actually taken advantage of, it was the other way around. You were given an advantage that someone didn't have. Or maybe you have been in a workplace and you think, well, here's the question we all have. Um, should your pay be based on longevity to that particular company or longevity in that particular field, right? Those are two different things. So does tenure matter more than experience? I don't necessarily know the answer to that question, but I was thinking about some of us in this room are experiencing new things, right? We now have a boss who is younger than us. And we're not sure what to do with that. It's a new thing that we're going through and wrestling through. And so we're not sure what that means for us. And maybe they even have less, less experience in your particular field. And so at times it might not even seem fair. And we don't know what to do with it. Right? So when I was about 12, I think I had my first like, job where you got paid hourly. Um, 11 or 12, I don't remember now. And so I... Um, it's probably like, it's, I think it's illegal, actually, but that's a whole other conversation. And so it was a guy from our church um, who ran a printing company. And so they printed stuff for all kinds of people. And I, um, he, he was, this is back when people used to mail lots of stuff. Um, and so it was time for like the election season. And so some politician was wanting all these envelopes, these printed letters, and they had to be stuffed and mailed out. And so they took the contract and then he said to me, um, hey, would you want to come work on this Saturday from such and such a time? I'll pay you $5 an hour. Sounded pretty sweet to an 11 or 12-year-old. So at $5 an hour, I showed up to fold and stuff envelopes, and um, he told me, use this little thing to close them all. You don't want to lick them all. And I thought, I'll be fine. I licked hundreds of envelopes that day. To this day, I I can't lick an envelope without remembering that day and like just this awful taste in my mouth. Um, I don't know if it was fair wage or not, but it seemed like it at 12. Uh, I worked full-time teaching tennis for a few months after, after college before I started working at a church, and I think they paid me fairly, and I, I, I accepted a position at a church, felt like it was a fair wage, um, I think. Um, and, and then I had been there a little over a year, and we had some staff turnover. We had so much staff turnover, in fact, that I became the longest tenured staff person. So there I was, 23 years old, the longest tenured staff person, and one of the new people we were hiring uh, was a, a worship pastor who had, had had a PhD in choral conducting and done all kinds of things, and, and it was a really, like, she became and still is one of my great friends. But somehow, I'm not sure how I found out what they were going to pay her, and it was twice as much as I made. I remember, 23, she's like 52, keep these in mind. And I was like kind of bummed out about that. It seemed inappropriate, it didn't seem fair. And so I went to a mentor of mine who just retired, and so David Wine and I were sitting down having a cup of coffee, and I just said, this doesn't seem fair. And he looked at me, and I will never forget what he said. I hope she makes twice as much as you. She should. She's been doing this for 30 years. You've been doing it for one. I hope 30 years from now you make twice as much as the new person as well. You should not begrudge her. You should be thankful for her. And so my 
23-year-old self sat there and went, oh, apparently I have the wrong perspective on this. And I realized, yeah, that was the wrong perspective. And so I began to hopefully shift over time the way I view that. But it's always stuck with me, this sense of fairness and equality and the question of this. And then I read the scriptures. And I read about God's economy. And I don't just mean financial, I mean about his grace and his goodness and fairness and equality. And I read all these things, and I don't know what to do with some of it. And you probably don't either. And today we're looking at Matthew chapter 20 um, in, in just a few moments. And we'll be looking at the first 16 verses. And I was thinking about, I, I don't know what to do with some of the stories from Jesus. Because they take the way things I think make sense to me or make sense of the world, and they flip it on its head. And then you go, huh, what do I do with this? And so what we find is throughout his stories, he addresses many different issues at one moment, all at the same time. And so it messes with us a little bit because we're not sure what to do with what he has to say. And so a reminder, we're looking at the parables of Jesus, and parables are stories that are meant to teach deeper truths about life, about ourselves, and about God. And these parables, these stories are multi-layered that rarely can we read them in one sitting. In fact, what I find is I'm, as I'm kind of walking us through these parables over these past several weeks, I keep reading them every day, and I think about something different every day that I read them. And so this story, honestly, you may not like it at first, but I didn't write it, and I didn't record it, and so it's not my story, it's Jesus's. So if you don't like it, you can take it up with him. But here's what he said. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you made them equal to us who borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. I mean, maybe you've heard this parable, maybe you haven't. Um, I'm going to paraphrase it again because I think there's some things we might miss, but this guy owns a farm, right? It's time to bring in crop, and so he needs some more help, and so um, he goes out and hires workers 
I want to phrase that. He might not even need more help. We actually don't even know. It doesn't say he needs more help. It just says he goes to hire workers. So it might not be necessary. It might be because he wants to. He goes out and he knows where the area in town is and where the day laborers go, right? The, the, we would think of probably as migrant workers, often in our communities, where they go and they wait for work. And so he shows up in this pickup truck and he picks them up and he puts them in the back and he takes them to work. It is at six in the morning. And then, about nine in the morning, he goes back and he sees more people and he's like, okay, well, these people need work too. Let's take them. And he takes them. And at three and then at five. And the end of the workday is actually 6 p.m., right? So some of these people have been working for 12 hours. Some of these people have been working for one. Some have been working for nine, six, right? Like they've been working for these random times. And then he does something that he agreed to pay them all a denarius. And so just so you know what a denarius is, like your Bible might say like a day's wages. That's actually probably inaccurate. It's probably two to three days' wages. And so this person who worked one hour gets paid two to three days' wages, enough to, to provide for their family. And, I mean, I would probably be one of the people, if I was hired first, I'd been complaining, and be like, well, um, my back's sore. I work for 12 hours for you. And I made the same as that guy who showed up for one hour, and then the landowner says the same thing that makes sense to us. He's like, well, yeah, but didn't I give you what I promised you? Didn't I say you would make a denarius? And didn't I pay you a denarius? What, what changed in our agreement? And then he asks this question. Don't I have the right to do with my money what I want to do? Can't I spend my money how I choose to? Or is the truth that you're upset because I'm generous? Well, the implication of that is I'm not generous, right? I'm believe in scarcity, not abundance, right? There's an implication in that statement. And so he then ends with this line. So the last will be first and the first will be last. It's a messed up story in terms of economic value, right? We don't know what to do with that. We would struggle with this. This landowner who may not even need the workers goes and gets workers. And then you go, well, how come other people, if they were new People showed to pick them up for work at 6. Why weren't they there until 9 or noon or 3 or 5? Right, here's the other part of this. We don't, we don't know why. Maybe they had physical limitations and couldn't get there earlier. Maybe they had family issues and they couldn't make it. Right? They were taking care of a sick kid. We, we don't know anything beyond that. But what we know is it speaks to all kinds of issues. And so there's a few ways we're going to look at this parable. We can talk about national identity. Right? Some will argue that this parable talks about the idea of Israel as nation. They were first, God's firstly called people. And then over time, what, what they find in this story is this, that God invites all nations to be his people. Well, the implication of that is what? Well, that's not, we were first. Okay. Don't I have the right to be generous to all people? Don't I have the right to say, I want all people to be my people? And see, this is why for us that sometimes for Israel, or even for us here, right, in God's economy, there is no favored nation clause. In God's economy, there's no favored nation clause. And that was a problem for Israel. That was a problem with some of Jesus' teaching for some of the Israelites because they would hear him talk about the Gentiles receiving things. Paul writes about them, you know, Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free, and it just messed people up because God's economy 
in whatever area is so different than the way we often think about the world. There's the obvious way we could look at this, right? Economically, he's talking about day laborers and work and fair pay and, and equality and some of these kind of things, and right? And so we can make all kinds of observations about this particular story in terms of that. And I, I think a simple thing to think about would be this. All people should be given the opportunity to work. That's what he's trying to say. All people should be given the opportunity to work. What else does he say is this? All people should be given enough to live on. All people should make a wage in which they can live. Doesn't mean exorbitantly, but they should be able to not worry about whether they can feed their children or not. This is the reality of what God does talk about this. Like I said, a denarius was more than two to three days' wages. So, in other words, what God's trying to say in this particular story through Jesus is this, that we want people to have enough that they can actually even probably have a day off. We want them to, to live in such a way in which they can find rest and wholeness. And so this is good news to the poor. Because in God's economy, there's enough for everyone. It's also a challenge to the rich that you have a responsibility. So today, if you own a business, if you have opportunity to hire, here's the challenge for you. What's it mean? Um, make sure that people have enough. Make sure they earn a living wage. Make sure they're taken care of, that their families can eat. Because here's the reality, right? We, we would say this, that um, I, some people will say these things that I think are, are bad theology. Um, like, well, you know, if, if you're just more faithful, God will give you more stuff. If that was true, then People wouldn't be caught for embezzlement and fraud and gangsters wouldn't have money, right? Like, that's not how the world works, unfortunately. But what I do believe is 100% true, we find all throughout the scriptures, is that when you have more, your responsibility is greater. As God has allowed you to have more, your responsibility matters. And so with more does come more responsibility to live more generously, to be more gracious, to give away more. And it matters in the community of faith because you may be in a position where you can hire or support or help someone else, a family in need, a missionary to a foreign place, whatever it looks like, your generosity matters. And so there is dramatic responsibility for those who have more. And then we could talk about how this passage addresses the idea of dignity. Every person, not just in terms of economic terms, but they have value as people, and so you should be valued enough to be offered employment. Um, there is dignity in earning a day's wages. In fact, I'd say it this way. Sometimes I hear people talk about, um, oh, I can't wait, I don't want to work, uh, work's awful, work's terrible, no one should have to work. I'll... I'll um, You've not done a very good job of reading your Bible if you believe that. And what I mean is this. Work is created before sin ever even enters into the picture. God created you and I to work. I know some of you are going, well, that stinks. I just want to retire. <laughs> yep, stinks. But we were created to work. There's something innate in us in that. Now, some of you are like, well, I've retired. Well, I do. There are other ways you can work that don't even pay you. But we're all created to work. That is a intrinsic in our creation. And so when we choose to not work, we're choosing to not live into the ways in which we are created. All right. 
and also there's, so there's dignity, the fact that this landowner is going to go find people who need work and give them opportunity to work. And he also has dignity because he recognizes people are dependent upon him. Nowhere, like I said, does it say in the story in which people needed jobs, or needed, I'm sorry, that he needed workers, he just went out looking for them to make sure people had work. Right? Some people, I, I've met some people who have businesses they continue to run, they don't need the money, they don't do it for them, they do it for the employees in which they have. It's a pretty cool dynamic. So if you're ever in that position, don't forget this story. Right? We could talk about the story in terms of the church, this parable in terms of the church, right? We, we sometimes go, well, um, so in other words, uh, we often place great value in being there first, being one of the first people there. And when we do that, we say things kind of like this. Well, we don't do it like that here. Um, do you know how long I've been here? Did you know I was here before you were born? It was way better back then. Right? And before you go, well, man, he's just bashing people who've been in church a long time. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, um, Denise, who was playing the piano, Denise has been here since the church was started. I know. The church must only be like 40 years old. Rich has been here almost since it started, and he's like 95. It's a long-standing joke. If you would like to know it, I'll be glad to tell you. Others have been here a long time. I think of Elaine Howe's been here for a really long time. Others have been here for a really long time. Mark has been here for a really long time, um, but Mark is much older than Denise, so I'm not sure how that worked out. But lots of people have called the church home for a long time. And as I just mentioned, all have a good heart in terms of, they like, don't care what we have done, but who are we trying to reach and who are we trying to become? I can jokingly pick on them because if they were the other way, if they were angry about stuff, I wouldn't talk about them right now because I would have just used them as the wrong example and then you don't do that publicly to people. That's not very nice. But rather, sometimes we'll hear people say things like this, you're in my seat. You don't get to say that here because we actually literally got rid of the old seats and put new ones in so you can't even say this anymore because your seat got moved. Right, we, you're in my parking spot, um, don't you know? So here's the lesson. Be inviting. Be the people who celebrate the last coming in. Who cares if we were first? Who cares? But let's be the people who always celebrate those who still enter in. And so there's one other area I haven't talked about in terms of this parable. It talks about the idea of like our spiritual life. And so let's say for argument's sake that the landowner is God and the workers represent all people. And so here is the God who pursues people, who goes after them, who goes where they are to the place in which they have need and he fulfills that need. But here's the challenge for us, is when God has come to find us and he brings us back where he can put us to work in his kingdom, in his mission, in his field, our challenge is to not be those workers who got there first, who are complaining about those who came later. How come I get the same thing they get? That's not fair. Why don't I get something better than they got? Don't you know I have been serving you my whole life? 
You feel like you've been cheated because you've been living faithfully after God. And then you hear the story, right? Okay, maybe you've never done this, but I used to wish that I had this great testimony about being like addicted to drugs and alcohol and all kinds of stuff. And they could tell you how God saved me from all that stuff because it'd be a way cooler story. I don't have that story. Got other issues, but those weren't them. And so you feel like you almost got cheated because they get this better story than you have. Or you feel like you got cheated because you tried to live faithfully from a young age and they came in later and you're like, well, that's just not fair. Or maybe you're a new Christian. You just recently decided you want to follow Jesus and you feel like others are so far ahead of you that God could never gift you the same way he's going to gift them. Also not true. You see, if we're not careful, we begin to put parameters on God's grace, right? We, we don't know what to do with, like, deathbed confession or people confess their sins and desire to know Jesus in the last moment. We're like, oh, that's so great for them. And then we think, well, I wonder if I could live however I want to live forever. And then when, right before I die, but we can't control we're going to die, so good luck with that. But, but this idea that we go, well, is that fair? Hint, there's a story in the Bible about this. As Jesus is being crucified on the cross, the man next to him, he says, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today, your, your confession here, now I hear you. You're welcome into my kingdom. You're welcome into my home. I have a space for you. And so why is this parable, why, is, why does Jesus tell it? Well, here's why. Um, we all like fairness when it benefits us. We don't necessarily like fairness when it benefits somebody else. We like fairness when it benefits us, but we don't like it when it benefits others, right? The first hired do not desire to be treated equally. They want to be treated better. The first hired don't want to be treated equally. They want to be treated better. So I'll talk to that for just a second, right? So if you today are not a follower of Jesus, you can kind of lean in for a moment and listen and hear what we should be trying to do, what we're trying to live out, and who God actually is, right? Here's the reality for us. Jesus is talking to his own followers in this story, and he's saying to them, beware of your own attitude. Don't think you're better than someone else because you've come to know me. Don't forget, in my kingdom, there's always room for more people. I will continue to pursue others all the time. And so being first doesn't mean being better. And being last doesn't mean being less than. Being first doesn't mean being better. Being last doesn't mean Less than. I love this quote from N.C. Wright. He says this, God is and always has been the one in the marketplace looking for people everyone else tried to ignore, welcoming them on the same terms, surprising them and everybody else with his generous grace. Where do you and I need to be reminded of that? It's a moment where you and I have tried to hoard God's grace or his love for us. So I was thinking, um, this week in particular, as we read or listened or watched a story about another school shooting, as I thought about parents grieving the loss of their kids, as I sent my own kids off to school, the reality is that broken people do broken things. But what might happen 
if you and I recognize we are called to be the people who go to the places of brokenness to offer healing and restoration? What might happen if God's people were so convinced that we're called to go to the margins where people are hurting and suffering and offer hope and love? What just might happen if we're called to help others enter into his kingdom? What might happen if you and I, rather than begrudging people, became people who celebrated other people? We were so concerned with celebrating others rather than worrying about what we got in terms of fairness, we might just see people begin to be transformed. We're called not only to be the workers in the vineyard, but to be the people who pursue people in the margins. You and I are called to be God's conduits of grace and love. You and I are called to be God's conduits of grace and love. You see, God's concern is not when we enter his kingdom. God's concern is that we do. So I was thinking, what might happen if that became our great concern? What if our greatest concern in life was no longer the things that trap us up, our favorite sports team or politics or our neighbors or whatever else, but what if our greatest concern was people coming to know the depth of God's love for them, the, his grace and his love, and we truly became the conduits of those things? There's only one way for us to embrace, embrace heaven here and now. It's to live as his unique people, to say Jesus is Lord, to take his stories that don't make sense in the economies of our world and go, but this is the way it works in the kingdom of God, and so I'm going to try to live this out here and now. And then I'm going to ask God's spirit to help shape me. Because I don't know about you, but I can't do that without him. That's why I told you that story about when we hired, Susan was hired at the church I worked at because um, if it hadn't been for someone else speaking into my life, I might have been bitter about that, and I never should have been. Sometimes we need someone to point out for us the direction we're going. And here's the reality. This is a decision we make every single day. I'm going to live as a conduit of God's love and grace. I'm going to decide this before I leave my house in the morning. I'm going to decide this when I wake up every morning. I'm going to decide I'm not going to be shaped by the world in which I live, but I'll be shaped by the person of Jesus. And so daily I will make that decision. So this week as I was reading um, a book I've been reading, I was thinking about how does it look to be more and more shaped by the hope-filled message of Jesus? What might it look like if I embrace this more and more? And so I read these words. I, I even posted them on social media for some of you to, to read there. But here's uh, it's from John Mark Comer. Here's what he writes. With every decision we make to complain, criticize, play the victim, focus on the negative, and so on, we become more and more the kind of person who is, by nature, negative, grouchy, unhappy, and unpleasant to be around, until eventually we lose the very capacity to live happily, gratefully, and full of wonder at our lives and God's good world. The daily decision to rejoice, to cultivate a way of seeing our lives in God's good world, not through the lens of our phones, news apps, or flesh, but through gratitude, celebration, and unhurried delight will over time form us into joyful, thankful people who deeply enjoy life with God and others. What starts as an act of the will eventually turns into our inner nature. What begins with a choice eventually becomes 
a character. If we're not careful, we'll become the workers in the vineyard who were captivated by money or greed or prestige or whatever, and they grumbled against others and against the landowner or against God. But if we'll choose the heart of the landowner, we'll work to see needs and fill them, we'll model our generosity when we're able, we'll treat people with dignity and honor, what we might just find is God's grace becomes more evident in our own lives, and we're able to give that grace to others and theirs. And what we begin to find in this story is God's grace cannot be bargained for or stored up. It can be received and given. And this matters for you and I, because if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, then you and I are called to be God's conduits of grace and love. Here's what Jesus teaches. Here's what I believe. If we'll choose that as our way of life, it will radically change the world in which we live. It may just start in our living rooms, on our offices, on the shop floor, or in our schools. But what the world desperately needs is people who are committed to Jesus to be conduits of his love and his grace. And it will and has and will continue to change the world in which we call home. And so may you and I choose that. May we choose him. May that be true for us today. We pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. For the way you desire to be so transformative in our hearts and our minds and our lives that you desire to change us to become more and more the very unique people of God. We're defined by your grace. And so we ask, even though it's hard, that we would every single day choose you. That we would every single day ask that you would help us to choose you, to model your love and your faithfulness and your goodness in every aspect of our life. That we would recognize you are the landowner who pursues us. And may we, by virtue of that, may we pursue others with the same kind of love. May it be evident that we believe in dignity and honor for other people. May it be evident that we desire to extend grace and love. May your hope be evident in our lives. May we grieve with those who grieve and recognize a God who restores and makes new. And so, Father, we ask today that you might help us to be people that look like your son. And so may it be over time that our words our actions, they reflect his love and his mercy. And we thank you that it doesn't matter today whether we wanted the first into your kingdom or whether even just today or recently we decided to follow you. That your love and your grace is extended equally to all of us. And may we never forget it's equally extended to those who don't yet know you as well. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.